Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And today, audibly, it's my old WCW traveling buddy, announcer Dave Penzer. We all used to ride with Dave, me, Chris Benoit, Chavo Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, all the gang, because uh, basically Dave's hotel and car were paid for by WCW because he was an employee. So there you go. On his on his tab, we used to drive around the, the nation. We had a great time. Lots of great stories. You're going to hear a bunch of crazy tales coming up. Dave's got so many good ones about drinking with Ric Flair. What it was like on the road with Arn Anderson and Eddie sharing a room. How Dave got the gig as an announcer at WCW in the first place. And Dave was there for the Monday Night Wars and for the bitter end of WCW. So we're going to hear what that was all about. Uh, what it was like to be in the thick of all that. Here we go. Enough of my yakking. I now announce Dave Penzer here on Talk is Jericho. Welcome everyone to Talk is Jericho. With your host, the Ayatollah of Rock and Rolla, Y2J, Chris Jericho, and his guest, me, David Penzer. Here with Dave Penzer and can't remember the last time I saw you, maybe, I don't know, five, six, seven years no, ago. No, a couple of WrestleManias ago, before the Hall of Fame, but you probably don't remember. Okay, yeah. You were with your family. But it's weird, though, because we literally live 15 minutes away from each other. Yeah, right up the road. And uh, it's been a long time coming because, uh, it's like I said, we haven't seen each other a lot, but back, you know, 20 years ago, we were pretty much, you know, traveling partners. We had some fun. You know, and that for a long time. Yeah. You know, all my WCW years, I think pretty much traveled with with, with a variety of different people. Uh, yeah. Hugh Morris and uh, Bill DeMott, Eddie, of course, uh, bless him, and Chavo and yeah, Dean. What I remember was 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 the first couple loops, and uh, I mean, let's probably just jump right in. But it was, I think, my very first loop when I came in in '96. And of course, I was part of the of the Benoit contingency just by proxy. And I knew Eddie, and I was introduced to Chavo. 
And I remember that they said, we're going to ride with Penzer, because why did we ride with you? Because my car was paid for by the company. <laughs> car and maybe even room. Hotel, too. yeah. So, yeah. So it was Pee-wee you. was the smartest guy in the whole business. Pee-wee, Randy Pee-wee Anderson. took me on. When I first went on the road, Pee-wee took me under his wing, and I'm going to myself, because, you know, I'm green as hell. I'm going to myself, why is this guy being so nice to me? <laughs> and then, you know, years later, I realized it's because, hell, he got a free room and a free <laughs> a free rental car. And we ended up becoming really good friends. But I think right. we were sort of using each other. I needed somebody to teach me the road mm-hmm. and the ropes of the business. And, and he needed somebody <laughs> to cover his expenses. <laughs> so, And that's what it was. It was, it was Pee Wee U and, like you said, various lineups. But mostly me, Benoit, Dean, Eddie. There was a loop in there with Arn. I either travel with Arn or I travel with you guys. Right. right. Almost almost exclusively. But there was one time I remember like we got a minivan and Arn was in my very first loop. Arn was in that car. Is that with the one where him and Eddie shared a hotel room? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing that we'll get to that story. But the thing that's so funny, like for me, and now I just travel on my own. But at the time, you know, because WCW, what people don't realize is we worked way more in WCW than we do in WWE because I remember it was 22 days a month on the road. 25. It was, uh, we do Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night house shows and Monday night show, Tuesday, Thunder. And then every other Wednesday was Saturday night. So if you had a Saturday night, you got home on Thursday morning and you left on Friday morning. Yeah. I remember it was like 10 days on. One day off, three days on, three days off, or something. I don't know how I did it. Now you're still doing it, so God bless you. But I never, I never. Even even WWE, they switched early on to four days a week. Yeah. The only time you would do like those ten days in rows if you go to Europe or something like that. But WCW, when it was hot, it was ten days in a row with like one or two off, and like you said, you'd go back out again. Yeah. And it was a tough schedule. Just came home, washed your clothes. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even have time to do dry clean. I would do dry clean on the road from the hotels. Yeah, you would send it up from From there from the tucks i didn't even have time on the on those saturday night weeks you know i i, I had not even 24 hours at home not even overnight so, so when you send them up to the hotel would you charge that to uh of course to Turner? yeah uh, that was the good thing about uh like we were saying earlier about being an employee because i got 35 dollars a day per diem which back in the day it doesn't sound like that much money, but no, it was a decent amount of money. It still is. It could pay for a couple of meals. And, and, and especially like at TV and pay-per-views, I, I'd eat, I'm not a big morning eater, so I eat catering for lunch. And then I'd use most of my per diem at the bar. And then, you know, we eat like, you know, Waffle House or, yeah. or, or uh, you know, uh, Whataburger for dinner, which is like five bucks, you know. And so, you know, most of my uh, most of my per diem was going towards uh, my bar tab. Drinking, yeah. yeah sure. One time, uh, Shane, we were traveling with Shane McMahon when he was on the road and we went to Waffle House. And he's like, oh, I got this, guys. He went to pay for it with his black diamond card. <laughs> and, of course, the number one rule of Waffle House is cash only. Yeah. And he's like, geez, guys, I got no cash. I'm like, step aside, <laughs> Junior. Let me show you how Waffle House works. <laughs> but I remember, so, like, now, like, just now I travel by myself when, when I'm working. But then it was six guys into the minivan. And you have to really, like, it was hard because this guy wants to go to the gym. This guy wants to eat. This guy wants to sleep in. This guy wants to do that. I, I don't know how we made that work with all six of us. I, 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 there's, you know, a lot of stuff is hazy for me. There's certain things that stand out. One memory that just flashed back, we were going to, it was outside of suburban Washington, D.C. I believe it was a, a college. And I had, to, I had to be, I had the music and I had to open the show. So I had to be there on time, especially like an hour early. And I don't even 
know if you remember this. And you kept making excuses to stop. I need hair product. So you stop. And I'm freaking out in the back, in the back seat going, going, guys, we got to get there. We got to get there. And the more you see me freaking out, the more you're stopping at different places. Well, you know who orchestrated that? No, I have Benoit. no idea. Oh, Benoit was very, God bless him, was yeah. very quiet. You know, he wasn't an outward ribber, you know, but he was uh, he was very quiet. I remember uh, in te- uh, somewhere in Michigan, uh, we stole the, all, all the Mexicans. They went to a bar with us afterwards. I don't know if you were still there. You might have been gone. And um, Benoit, Hoovy was driving, and I guess all those guys were there. And uh, Benoit, they left their keys on the table at the bar. So Benoit took the keys. Well, there at the end of the night, they're all, you know, nobody could find their keys. They're all looking through and, and, uh, you know, they're all, you know, pretty buzzed. So, you know, everybody's blaming Hoovy because that's, you know, that's sort of what happened. You know, Hoovy was like the me of the, of the Mexican group, got all the heat. <laughs> everyone, everyone ganged up on <laughs> and, 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 you know, and Hoovy's getting all upset going, I, I, you know, I left them right there and all that. And, Benoit finally like planted the keys on a like you know on a, a bar stool like you know so nobody would know never told anybody I'm like are we gonna smarten these guys up and he's like no and I'm like what do you mean no he's like we're not gonna smarten them up and I said well what's the fun of it he goes just watching the action yeah and 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 so that was that was Benoit he he was very quiet about it but um you know Kurt Kurt Hennig who's another classic ribber he would brag about it to everybody oh, yeah. you know but Benoit was very that, and, that, and we'll talk more about Chris later on but that was Chris's thing because he was saying like okay like uh Ben's just getting nervous. Just keep making excuses to stop. I'm like, all right. And that's why I said, I need hair products. Like the dumbest thing ever. Like, you know, five thirty for the show. And you were just like, come on, we got to go. We got to get out of here. And you would never see Benoit like laugh. And I go, you never laugh at this. You always go, I'm laughing inside. Yeah. And that was kind of his, his MO for, for, for his ribs. Looking back, I was always an easy mark. I went to, I was telling a story the other day. I went to, um, to England with uh, Fit Finley. Drew McDonald was on the tour, worked for Scott Conway and Brian Dixon. It was when I was still getting severance in WCW. And, um, I think Horace Hogan was on the tour too. And, um, they had Dave, Dave Taylor was there. Uh, Tony St. Clair. It was like the who's who of the, of that whole scene. And, um, and the first night they went to eat Indian food and I hate Indian food, nothing against Indian food, but, and I bitched and I moaned. And so the whole rest of the four week tour, every night we went to Indian food and years later, I, I didn't even think about it cause I was so naive back then. But years later I found out that not only did we go to Indian food every night as a rib on me, but the guys were the other guys were getting miserable at the end because most of them hated uh, 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 Indian food, but they were going to make me miserable whether they were miserable at the same time. Exactly. They were almost ribbing themselves <laughs> exactly. just to rib you. So. But um, I, I remember like uh, like also too when you're talking about having your free room, we would have like three or four or five guys in a room together, and I remember was it was it Pee Wee that snored really badly. Uh, or was it you that started? I really do. Really, I do what now. were we doing with the remote control? We took the we took the batteries out of the remote control because you and I couldn't sleep when the TV was on. Is that correct? And Eddie always wanted the TV on, so we would take the re- the batteries out of the remote control. That's the kind of minutia that I, I, yeah, I don't yeah, remember. Yeah. I remember about the remote control. I right now I snore. I actually just recently got fixed, but not that this matters. But I just got recently got fit for. Uh, I finally tapped out to the sleep apnea gimmick <laughs> because my doctor said I could have a heart attack and die, and I'm like, oh, I guess I better wear one of those ridiculous masks to bed. So I maybe just- it was you that was snoring. We had to put like earplugs in because someone snores so bad. Is either you? 
or Randy Anderson. Might have been two. both of us. Yeah, yeah. Have a snore off. I remember that was one of those things where you're like, oh, we got a free room. I'm like, dude, I can't sleep in this room anymore. <laughs> you know, Penzer's snoring way too loud. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So let's talk about Arn Eddie's room. Remember about that one? Yeah, um, we had the next room over. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Their like room was joining rooms. Their room was right. Across, I don't think it was adjoining. Oh, okay. I think it was just we had the next room over, so we could hear what was going on because the walls were thin. It was like a Hampton Inn or something, and uh, their room was also right in front of the elevator. So, and then ours was the next one over. The way I remember the story, and of course we were all drinking that night, so it's, uh, we'll probably have our own fuzzy, uh, fuzzy, uh, fuzzy remembrance. But um, the way I remember the story is that Arn ordered food. I would say Waffle House. Arn, Arn was very unique. Is that he never ate until he was done drinking. But that's old school, like Southern wrestlers. Yeah, I remember when I first went to Smoky Mountain Wrestling after the show. I was with the Rock and Roll Express, and I was like, "Are we getting something to eat? Like something to eat?" We're getting a case of beer. We're driving the next town. We eat when we get to town. I'm like, this is going to be two in the morning. Yeah. But that's how those guys would do it. Yeah. So Arn never, I mean, until he was done drinking, no matter if it was midnight or 4 a.m., he never ate until he was done. And then he ate and went to sleep. Yeah. And so I, he was getting some kind of food. I want to say Waffle House. It could have been something else. I think it was Burger King. Burger King might have been. The reason why and um, he asked Eddie if he wanted a piece. He asked Eddie, do you want any food? And, and then he asked Eddie, you want a piece of some kind of pie. I want to say pecan pie. I think it was apple pie. Apple pie? pie? Whatever they serve at Burger King. That's why I know it's Burger King. It comes in that little yeah. cardboard piece of pie holder. And so, and so, and, and you're a much better storyteller than I am if you want to take this one over. Well, but go ahead. You go ahead and I'll, and I'll fill but, in the blanks. And you gotta, you just gotta know these two when they're yeah. drinking because Arn, you know, and, and Eddie are, are two of the, you know, they don't mince words when they're, they're God bless Eddie. Yes. They, they don't mince words when they're Two different ways. Arn, very biting, yeah. uh, sarcastic, but just hugely insulting. And Eddie would just be very calm, and then he would just lose, lose it. it. Yeah. So <laughs> Arn said, to Eddie's like, I don't want any pie. And Arn says, don't ask me for any pie. I'm happy to get you a piece of pie, but if you don't get a piece of pie... <laughs> And you want my pie? There's gonna be there's gonna be problems here tonight. In that southern accent, the way he talks, Eddie, if you want my pie, there's gonna be a trouble. And and so of course, what happened? Well, Eddie's of course super drunk. We come back to the room, and Eddie wants some pie. And, <laughs> and on, we're listening to the. We're <laughs> hearing this, yeah. Well, no, I think at one point we actually had our ears to the, to wall. the wall, and they're arguing. It's like you know, hey, you think your shit don't stink, or you don't give me a piece of pie, Eddie? I told you, you wanted a piece of pie. I told you no so they're arguing back and forth and finally i goes i don't want the f pie and eddie goes and i don't want the f pie so they threw the pie in the garbage because now they're both so angry at each other out of principle i'm not going to give you uh, i'm i'll take the pie i don't want the pie 
I'll give you the pie. I'm not going to eat the pie. And they just threw the damn pie away. <laughs> the damn thing that no one wanted. And then to the eat. manager knocked on their door and said that there had been noise complaints because they were yelling at each other and said, if I have to come up here again, we're going to kick you out of the hotel. And so we're listening and we could hear the, 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 the elevator open and the manager got back on the elevator and like everybody was listening in unison from both rooms and the elevator came uh, closed and, and it dinged and it to go downstairs and I believe it was on goes or maybe no I think it was Eddie goes all over a piece of effing pie and then they started yelling at each other again they never they, they didn't get thrown out of the room the manager never came back but it was, it was I remember I went into the room after it might have been a different time but we didn't travel with Arn much so I think it was the same time and, and Arn was asleep on his bed with his shirt off and his drink, like his soda from the Burger King, balanced on his on his belly, just perfectly balanced. And I remember there's I seeing the condensation of the moisture dripping down the cup onto his belly and just like, how does he do that? He's sleeping so still that the damn cup is on his belly, not moving. I think he could still do that. Still, yeah. no, I don't know. But he you, doesn't you, drink you, anymore. You travel with a lot of those with all those guys, and sometimes I was there, sometimes I wasn't. Is there other stories that pop into your head about like Arn, for example, because he stopped wrestling very early on to my stay in WCW. So he kind of became management. But when he was actually working, he was like the, the, the guy like to hang out with, right? Arn's a fun, one of the funniest guys I've ever met and yeah. uh, was was a very good friend still is to this day. Uh, just like you, I don't get to see him a lot, but, you know, y'all are all over the world. And I'm here in my little nest and loots. And for a while, for about a year and a half, we traveled with Flair. Wow. Which was fun because Arn and Flair were, were constantly at each other's throat in a ribbon way. Um, Beak. Yeah, yeah. He calls Flair Beak. But uh, <laughs> he, there, was, there was a time, I guess, before I had gotten to WCW that, uh, that uh, Rick was going through a hard time. He was having a little bit of a break, breakdown. And uh, Arn got a, a, a white van. And that set Flair over the edge. He missed like a week of dates. He flew himself home. He's, I'm the world champion and I'm, you got me a f milk truck i gotta pull into baltimore in a fucking milk truck in a white van i'm a limousine riding son of a gun and i gotta pull in a fight and he lost it so the running joke was whenever Ar arn would go get the car and whenever arn could get a white van he would get a white van and flare it he did he, i mean at that point he was in on the joke so he laughed about yeah. it a little bit but he's like you know you, you know you could still tell it bother him he would pull in the building he'd like look at these people i'm the world champion and i'm pulling in a white van arn anderson you son of a bitch but and and then flair I, I i've smartened up to his gimmick very quickly because we'd go out to the bar and at the end of the night he would buy shots of kamikazes right the whole tray yeah but what i didn't know because i'd be like we'd be like stumbling out and he'd be like fine and i'm like boy that guy could drink what i didn't know at the time but i found out a little bit later is that he would give the waitress an extra 50 dollar bill or the bartender to make his kamikazes without any vodka virgin kamikazes yeah, yeah. so he's whipping kamikazes going woo come on come on drink with me and we're all drinking yeah. kamikazes that actually had alcohol in it so he was also famous for uh, pouring the drink out in the potted plant yeah that was you know he, you go for the cheers he pours it down quickly and drinks it yeah. it's not there you know well I mean? after that gimmick after that gimmick uh got got exposed that's when he started paying the uh the waitress extra not to put any in his uh in his kamikazes but uh i wish i could remember more you know he rick is famous for you know pulling down his pants and doing the dance my wife one time in uh birmingham england uh, he did it at the hotel bar and my lovely wife was sitting right there and got to see it. And 
uh, not only did she get to see that, but uh, I don't think she ever looked at me the same again. <laughs> <laughs> see, but here's the thing that you have to understand, and, and people listening that that might not kind of know this, it was only, like we said, let's say 20 years ago, 25 years ago, tops. But it was a completely different business. Oh, totally then. different world. You know, totally different world. Explain some of that, because you came in just towards the end of that end of the old style of doing things. Well, I mean, the, he, back then when I first started, the heels and the baby faces didn't really, uh, you know, hang out in the same places right. for sure. Unless it was the uh, dungeon at, in Atlanta. Mm. That was the one place that everybody could get together. After was that a Ramada Inn? Ramada Inn, yeah. It was a famous, right by the airport. Everyone called it the dungeon. Yeah, the dun- was that was, kinda, it was the name of the bar. And, uh, what was the name of the, the, the waitress that were the lady who ran the place? Uh, Delane Donovan. Delane. <laughs> Shout out to Delane Donovan. Everyone knew her, yeah. <laughs> she actually still runs it. Really? It's still there. Do you remember a couple years ago, Bobby Eaton went missing in Atlanta airport? Yeah. Nobody could find him. I got on the phone and called it's not even the ramada and it's called like it's a different hotel chain but i called and got delane on the phone because i thought maybe he would have gotten in a, a a cab and gone to Ended that up there, hotel yeah. yeah and he didn't but uh you know apparently she's still it's like a choice hotel or something still running the place Jeez. but uh that was the place where all the boys hung out in atlanta the dungeon that was the famous uh, squeegee story the, the the sid vicious brian pillman the mike graham squeegee story happened there Har- harley race would had had a zapper uh and he'd walk around and zap people you know people just maybe like falling over three bar tables like, what do you mean, like uh, one of those uh, cop zappers yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> like the guy needed a zapper to like mess with you if you needed <laughs> right to. as harley race exactly yeah i remember one time i, I was crazy there i remember one time there uh, Kevin Sullivan's daughter, Shannon, brought her boy, new boyfriend to the dungeon. And it was Kevin and me and the Nasty Boys. And Kevin was encouraging. This is when I knew I was in a totally different realm. That Kevin was encouraged, because I had young kids. Kevin was encouraging the Nasty Boys to gimmick this guy's drink. Shannon's boyfriend. And Shannon was kind of going along with it. Talk about the devil and the devil and the daughter of the devil. And uh, and and they ended up knocking him out, shaving both eyebrows. They put, I'll never forget, they put him on the, you know, the luggage cart. They put his passed out body on the luggage cart, brought him up to the room, pushed the luggage cart in the room, didn't even take him off the luggage cart. And then Shannon and us went back down and kept drinking. <laughs> he woke up the next morning, had no clues what was up, except he had no eyebrows. And that was the big thing. The Nasty Boys are famous for that. Do you remember the time uh, that they taped? It, might have, it wasn't you. They taped, no, they taped the trainer down. The Steiners and the Nasty Boys taped the trainer uh, uh, stomach first onto the training table and then started, like, sodomizing him with, like, scissors and, like, uh, products. And he's like, no, no. I think his name was Danny the coach. Danny, yeah. yeah. Him and Arnex are still friends. I see. I still see Danny every <laughs> once in a while. Um, he married one of the girls that worked in Kristen, one of the girls that worked in uh, PR gotcha. in, in WCW. They're still married. but um, And they live in Charlotte. But uh, that wasn't the first time. Actually, early before you came, we were in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and it was in uh, the, the UIC – no, the UIC Pavilion was in Chicago. It was in the the building where the on a college. Yeah, it's, it's on the university campus. Yeah, on the university campus. And our dressing room was the wrestling room. So they had mats all over and, and different stuff. And they had a rope hanging from the ceiling. And this was a different trainer. This wasn't Danny the trainer. This, I think, Chuck was his name or Chuck, Charles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they taped him. No, it wasn't even him. It was uh, Chris Sullivan, who was an enhancement guy that I used to bring up. But he, like, looked for heat. 
He like, I mean, he's like got off on the attention of being, you know, of, 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 of all the big stars, you know, giving him a hard time. They taped him to the rope that was hanging down. <laughs> and he's just hanging there, you know, going back and forth. They taped him to the rope and they said, the person who lets him down? They're going back up. And the guy sat, the guy was, uh, uh, Chris Sullivan was on the rope for at least an hour until Janie Ingle, of course, was the one who had to come get him down because Janie's the only one that knew that the Steiner brothers weren't going to do anything to her. So it was like high up in the office. Yeah. Like like the big lady in the office. So she had been back from the Crockett days. So, you know, she had as much respect as anybody probably in that locker room did. How was it for you kind of talking about WCW at the time when it was the number one promotion in the world? What year did you start there? Uh, I started bringing guys up in 91. I started bringing guys up. You're booking guys? Yeah. Um, what, what I, when I broke in the business, I broke in under a guy named Bob Roop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it was a place called Global Wrestling Alliance in, Where? in South Florida. Okay. And uh, when they closed down, which it was like a penny stock deal. Uh, and, and when they closed down, me and Bob bought the ring and started doing indie shows because I was, you know, finding, trying to find a way to get in the wrestling business. And so Bob was close with tight with Ole Anderson. So when Ole got the book at WCW and Turner took over, he brought Bob up as an agent. And Bob, to his credit, and I saw him about six months ago and gave him a big hug. He took care of me. And uh, back then, Jody Hamilton, the assassin, was booking the enhancement guys. And what I didn't know is every territory had an enhancement booker so that Jody didn't have to deal with 50 guys or 40 guys. He had the Italian Stallion and George South in the Carolinas. He had Rip Rogers in Ohio area. He had um, uh, Mike Jackson in Alabama. And he didn't have anybody at the time, I guess, in Florida. And he needed somebody. So my deal was WCW would rent me a van. They didn't pay me any money. Each week I would find five enhancement guys and they had to be good or else, you know, if they weren't good, I heard about it. And we would drive. I'd I'd start in Fort Lauderdale, drive across Alligator Alley, up I-75, across I-4 and picking people up along the way up to usually suburban Atlanta, Marietta, Gainesville, one of those places. And then uh, we'd, we'd drive back, and when they started doing double shots, that was great because we actually got to stay over. But each guy had to pay me $25. That was the deal that the bookers got. Booking fee. So WCW didn't pay me until I started ring announcing, which was it was two years of driving all over the country, basically, with these enhancement guys before I got an opportunity to... Uh, to be the ring announcer, to try out to be the ring announcer, and and so then I became the backup ring announcer. That was about ninety, the end of ninety three, and then by ninety five, Gary Capetta had left, mm-hmm. and that was right around when Nitro was starting. So they just handed me the ball, and I ran with Took it. Over, yeah, right away. Well, I wasn't gonna. Let, that's why I worked so so many days because I wasn't gonna let anybody else, you know, uh, you know, be a ring announcer. Were you the only announcer in for WWE? for the longest time until about. When I started doing talent relations and booking at the very, very end of WCW after you had left, we hired a guy to do Saturday night. But I and it, it was up to me to hire the guy, and I made sure to got to hire a guy <laughs> that was good enough to do to be a ring announcer, but that I didn't think was going to be. I don't know that I've ever admitted this before. Maybe the face to face thing See, really was. Yeah, um, that was good enough to to do a good job, but was never going to be a, you know than you. knock on was never going to be able to take my spot. So uh, so and then I got like a one weekend off a, a month, uh, so I finally took some time off because i was getting burned out but um but yeah for like five or for for the 
for the WCW Monday Night Wars for that main period. I was it was me. That was all. Doing Why give all, somebody else an opportunity to sure. take your gig? You're doing all three hours out there the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Just quickly, uh, tell me about Wildcat Willie. <laughs> you know, I know Eric has a podcast too, and uh, with Conrad, I actually uh, hosted a panel with Eric at Starcast. But um, uh, I never did ask him about Wildcat Willie. I don't know whose idea that was. It was uh, the mascot. Yeah, the mascot. The they spent the first costume cost more than I got paid in a year, <laughs> which was like it cost like seventy grand back then. I didn't make seventy grand. Yeah. I was an employee. Um, so I got benefits. I eventually did eclipse 70 grand, knock on wood. Uh, but then Wildcat Willie got a new costume, which looked even more like a rat. I don't even, couldn't even figure it out. That uh, cost like $120,000. You remember Andre, right? Yeah. I think he's still hanging around WWE, isn't he? I haven't seen him. Andre was a guy who made costumes. He made the whole... The glacier uh, thing. Glacier and all that stuff. But the, he... He ripped them off. Oh, the guy! The guy made millions, I think. Yeah, but he would make a costume, like you said, like a, like a like a wildcat Willie, whatever it was supposed to be. It looked like a rat. Was it supposed to be like a, a wildcat? I guess. I guess. Like a tiger or something. And he charged him one hundred twenty. Oh, oh, yeah. For a costume that you could get at Party City. <laughs> Well, I don't know about Party City, but uh, oh, it was very I, intricate stuff. It was, it was, it was, it was years he did this. I yeah. mean, for the for the glacier stuff and the, you know, and, and then he was involved in the Sting, you know, the fake Sting, right, right, Jeff right. Jeff Farmer and all that. And he just made, I mean, talk about a guy. You know, they talk about guys who made ridiculous money in WCW, and the, you know, the the Hulks and the Goldbergs and those guys yeah. did. Um, uh, Andre actually might have outdone them all. <laughs> you know, who's still working in WWE is Ellis. Ellis, the stunt guy. That's the, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, yeah. I, I heard that. Is Andre still around? No, I haven't seen Andre in years. He might have come in WWE very quickly, but I, I don't recall. Well, they finally they're they're smart yeah. enough to to, but, to see his game. Cat Williams, oh, the guy so who played him was like drunk half the time yeah oh yeah he was he was uh, he used to be a male cheerleader at a co on a college campus and I, I guess the gimmick was to attract kids yeah um and uh so before every he had his own little entrance music and before he went on the road to the freaking house shows <laughs> talking about wasting money and all he did i'd say ladies and gentlemen please welcome walk out willie's music would hit they'd set up a uh, a little uh trampoline. mini trampoline and he'd come around he'd shake hands with the little kids he'd do a flip off the trampoline then he'd go keep drinking <laughs> And I think he was making more money than I was at the time. Everybody made more money than I did. DJ Rand made more money than I did for being a DJ. The best part was when they put uh, thumb, the Steiners put thumbtacks in Wildcat Willie's boots one time. <laughs> he was flipping. He's like, ow! Who, who was DJ Rand? He's still around. I'm was friends he? with him on Facebook. He, oh, you weren't there. Yeah. Towards the very, towards the last couple of years, they brought him in on Night Show and Thunder and he would DJ before the shows and then we would interact during the commercial breaks. And, you know, I'd say, DJ Ram, what'd you think of the match? And he'd do a little rap and, you know, and then he'd uh, he'd play a little, you know, DJ man, you know, Ram, play us a song and he'd play oh, a little, yeah. you know, keep the, something to keep the audience he, involved. They would always have that because that's what the Nitro Girls did for a while. You know, and they had DJ Ran and they had mm. Wildcat Willie. Well, I get the Nitro Girls. I even get DJ Ran, you know, yeah. having a party DJ because that was the thing back then, yeah, you know. Yeah. But but I, I still don't get Wildcat Willie. <laughs> so how was it? Like it's like uh, I saw something on uh, Twitter today where um, they showed a picture of the giant and, um, and Ron Reese dressed up as the uh, mummy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The, where they the, were the Yeti, the Yeti, where they were uh, both bear hugging Hogan, and he, <laughs> Eric Bischoff on Twitter put a picture and said, "I am never going to live this down." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think to a lesser extent, 
He needs to answer for Wildcat Willie. <laughs> so how was it when you when you saw the company just explode after NWO and all that sort of thing? It went so fast. You know, it was such a fast ride that I don't know that I got to enjoy it as much as I could have. But I mean, you know, we were and, and we were playing hard. You know, we were living yes. hard, playing hard and and, and, and you know, traveling hard. So uh, I, I couldn't do it now. I look back inside. I don't know. You know, Fit Finley, God bless him. You're, you know, more than I do, still on the road with WCW. You know, he I mean, WWE, he, you know, one one Monday he's in. Uh, Los Angeles and then he's in Taipei and then he's in Finland and you know it's like you can't even follow him and I, I just don't know how he does it but uh, but yeah we were running hard and back in the day I could I tell my kids now who are 21 and 23 I say enjoy it while you can because mm-hmm. when you get older it's hard I don't you'd probably be the better one to answer you're still doing it not only with wrestling but with a rock and roll band God well, bless the thing you. is like I said like with WCW I mean it, like when we talk about how things have changed like now guys all stay in different places and, and this but in WCW everyone's stayed at the same hotel and all the fans knew it and everybody knew it so there was like a party after the shows pretty much every night oh yeah absolutely because everyone was in the same place yeah not only the wrestlers but the uh the production people so you know everybody became friends you know everybody you know so uh yeah it was uh it was a party every night and if there wasn't a party we'd find a party the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keep for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand Let's talk about Philadelphia, the airport Philadelphia Hotel, when everyone was in the bar. <laughs> I have a, I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I have a strange thought. Was uh, JBL in that bar? Yes, he was. I believe he was in the bar because I think WWE was like in the same area, area yeah. or something. Because I remember JBL gave me, uh, gave me a hard time over something. I don't remember what it yeah. was. And Fit had to step in and say, hey, he's cool. Yeah, Leave yeah, him yeah. alone. Uh, I but, think that was about 98 or something like that. Yeah, it was right yeah. towards the end of before you uh, you left me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we were in the bar. Those guys were in there. And somehow, what did you do to make me and Benoit mad? Oh, God, I don't know. You were Just always my, doing stuff. My to usual make hijinks. Yeah. But only next thing I remember is that you said hockey fight and it was on. Yeah. And uh, next thing I know, there I have uh, oh, my yellow sweater. You guys had my yellow sweater. I think, I think what I remember from this is, is it's like, Penzer, you've got like a minute to get out of here <laughs> and you wouldn't leave. And oh, I wasn't going anywhere. It was anywhere. like 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Of, we're going to get, and you ran out the bar and we ran out following you and we tackled you in the bar. That sounds right. And we, Took off all your clothes. Yeah, pretty and much. And what basically stripped you down, and you had to run to the elevator. I think just with your with your underwear on. Yeah, so that's this, true. This is in the lobby yeah. of the Hilton Airport in Philadelphia. It's a nice place, and we just like savages just stripped you down. And but the moral of the story <laughs> is like a couple of months later, I'll never forget it. My mother said we were living in Atlanta. My mother said you got to go see Le Miserable. And so she bought us tickets to go see Le Miserable in Marietta. We lived all the way in Peachtree City, so it's like an hour each way. And I was bored stiff. I was—I actually brought this up to my wife the other day. She was like, oh, it was such a good show. And I'm like, I was bored stiff. So we're driving home, and we called the babysitter, who's a family friend's daughter. 
And she said, I said, you know, we said everything all right with the kids. And she's like, yeah, but you were on Access Hollywood. Hard copy or, or something. something yeah. Hard copy. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit stripped you in a hotel <laughs> to your what tidy whitey underwear. <laughs> and I'm automatically thinking, I'm fired. Oh my God. Um, so I spent the whole weekend worrying about it. You know, and back then, you know, but you know, now there's texting. There were texting wasn't big was back then. Or else I had texted everybody. Even uh, yeah. cell phones. Yeah, yeah. So I remember um, first thing Monday morning, I called Alan Sharp. And Al, I Who said, PR, PR, PR guy, head of PR. And I said, Alan. I heard. I saw the thing on hard copy. I'm so sorry. We were just just a bunch of guys messing around. It was a hockey fight. Please tell me I'm not fired. He laughed so hard. He said, "We were told it was going to be an expose on all the crazy things the wrestlers did, and we were thinking a lot worse right. than you getting stripped down to your underwear in a hotel and a meaningless, you know, kind of joking around thing." He said, "You took one for the team. Don't think twice about it." And I was like, "Thank God." Hey, what had happened was somebody had, had, had snuck into the bar and had like a camera in like a, a I think they used the security footage. Well, no, they, somebody actually had a camera too because remember they showed like beefcake in the bar with like a, a, a tray of shots, like Flair with a tray, like the wrestlers were drinking all night long and it's Flair with a tray of shots. It's like that happens every night and then wrestlers and a wild melee ensues <laughs> where two turn on their own or something. But somebody was, there was security cameras, but somebody was filming like they went in there specifically to get the behind the scenes story. Cause I was the same. It's like, Oh, you guys are involved in this. And I was like, that's all that they got. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now how about the other time in the target center when you thought you were going to get fired? I've this, been this waiting story. years waiting. to talk to you about this story. Yes. So, uh, we were, it was just me and you on that loop. And, uh, we, uh, we, we showed up really early at the target center for yeah. some reason. It was really early. Uh, yeah. And um, it was a house show, so nobody of consequences ever showed up at the house shows. The road agent and the the whoever was the the, the work for Zane Breslov that night, and to to do the house. And um, we're somehow the subject of you never signing. At this point, you had been in WCW for a little while, and you had never signed a contract. Seventeen months. So, oh, is it seventeen I months? I was working there seventeen months. We started for that <laughs> and this is during the Monday Night Wars. Yes. This is and I was you know Luger's going one way, and you know it's going. Yeah, I was a cruiserweight champion, maybe even TV title, whatever. Yeah, I think you were. Yeah. So we're walking in, bags over our, you know, I have my suitcase in my hand, my bag, and you had your bag. We're walking in the the through the uh, indoor parking of the. Uh, of the Target Center, and I'll never forget. I said, "You could show up on Raw tomorrow," and you said, oh, "You know what? I can." And we were just we we kept talking about that, and we looked around the corner. We're like the first people in the freaking building. I still don't understand how this happened. Eric Bischoff, the president of the freaking company, was on the payphone, and he just looked at us like, "Hello, boys." And I just remember me and you went in the dressing room and said, "We're fired." Because it was a little bit more stiff than that. I remember you saying, like, you, I could, I could go to Rod and Morrow, f*** Bischoff. It's his fault for not signing me. Something like that. It was happened. pretty, yeah, it was pretty I stiff. I remember walking around the corner. It's one of those things where, like, we're in the movies, like, you go, f*** that guy. He's standing right behind me, isn't he? He wasn't standing behind us. He was right in front of us. That's like the, the only house show he ever went to. I don't know why he was there. I don't know what he was doing. And the thing is, he never said anything about it. 
Well, he did to me. What did he say? Well, because I was dumb enough to sell it, like we, you know, the like like we started this whole discussion about me selling everything. Right. So, but people make it worse. I was dumb enough to. You didn't sell it. You just thought you were getting fired, and you yeah. you were probably thinking just ignored of ignored it. Yeah. yeah, where you were gonna go? I really didn't have anything else. You know, you 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 know, you could have gone back to Japan, Mexico, W. You know, so I'm sure you know while you weren't thrilled that the whole thing happened in your mind, you're probably thinking, all right, I got to make a couple phone calls. Yeah. I'm thinking, what am I gonna do to feed my freaking family? And uh, and. So so I went to Eric and I said, Eric, I'm really sorry. We were just talking about hypotheticals. You know, I'm a company guy. And he goes, get the hell out of my dressing room and see me at the end of the show. And so the, the entire show, I thought I was, I mean, I, I tried to talk to him during intermission because I'm having like major anxiety attacks. I tried to talk to him during, don't talk to me till the end of the show. Finally, at the end of the show, he called me in and he said, I want you to know that I've just been busting your chops, but I really was pissed off. Don't ever talk about stuff like that again or else you will be fired. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that he heard all that stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he, yeah. He said, he said uh, I'm just messing with you, but... Wow. I'm not messing. You know, I'm kind of like, this is your warning. You know? Oh my gosh. So... Uh, That's crazy, huh? What was your relationship with, with Bischoff as a boss? He walked by me with his head down. <laughs> it's actually, you know, it's been a little, it's funny. I had him on my podcast and we did it like uh, I said, the, uh, I hosted a, um, a couple of uh, uh, panels with him at StarCast. And it's actually been a little bit cathartic, you know, to have a cocktail with him and all that because he was very intimidating guy back in the day. And, you know, I loved my job and didn't really have a plan B. That was my plan. You know, my this was my plan A, B, C, and D. I'm living my dream. I'm paying my bills, making decent money. And so I tried kind of like to stay away. And, you know, he's not the kind of guy who would walk up to you, put his arm around. Hey, David, how you doing today? Thanks for all the hard work you do. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget one time uh, I was promised a pretty big raise. And Nick Lambros, son of a bitch, Nick Lambros, who was the a lawyer? vice president, oh. lawyer, but he was the vice president at the time. He, t he turned down my raise and I mean, the company wasn't in any trouble. He was just being a jerk. And I can remember uh, Craig Leathers was my immediate boss. And I can remember I said to Craig, let me just meet with Nick. I could explain. And he's like, you sure you want to do that? And I said, Yes, I want to do. He's like, I don't think you should do that. He's pretty good. So I went in and I stood, stated my case about, you know, pretty much saying I was promised this raise. And, you know, I was I, basically what happened is I came in low ball because they were giving me a test. And they said, if you pass the test, this is what you'll go up to. And I said, I'm not asking for mean Gene money. I'm not asking for Bobby Heenan money. I'm not asking for, you know, Tony Schiavone money. I'm just asking for what you were promised me. And he looked up to the table. He goes, and it's a good thing because you're no mean gene. Now get the hell out of my office. And so Craig said, do you want to go to uh, me to go to Eric? And I said, yeah, what do I got to lose? Right. Eric will say, no, you don't have your raise. I'm not going anywhere. And they don't know that. But, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't threaten to quit or anything. And I never forget, I was uh, in a dressing room, in the announcer's dressing room at one of the night shows. And Eric walked in and said, I took care of your raise. Thank you. You work hard. And he walked out. 
And Tony Schiavone, who's in the locker room, turned to me and said, that is the best compliment Eric Bischoff could give you. You know, he's not the kind of guy that's going to say, hey, you're a great employee, or but he respects people that work hard. Mm-hmm. So that was about the only uh, positive uh, inter- interplay I ever How had. was your interaction? Like, I'm thinking, okay, so there's the talent and the wrestling side. Then those kind of ring announcer, commentator. How was your relationship with those guys, like with Mean Gene and Bobby Heenan and those types? Like, Heenan was freaking hilarious. Oh, it was, it was awesome. I was, you know, very good friends with all of them. Tony was my boss. Boss. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Tony was your boss. He, I, he was my boss, and then he reported to Craig Leather. Gotcha. And um, and so uh, and I had worked in production uh, at a time before I got. I always wanted to do stuff behind the scenes because you know you never could do That's enough the things. Future, yeah, yeah. Actually, you might laugh at this, but to this day, I'm convinced that if WCW were still in business right now, all this time, I'd be like a VP or something. I'm, I'm convinced sure you of would it. Be. But uh, it, I'm sure it's you not. Be. That's and, how it works, you know. But yeah, Tony and Mike Tanay and Lee Marshall and Bob, we would, we had a uh, dressing room, and then uh, at one point they got us a trailer because the dressing room just everybody had a dressing room. The they had a uh, you know you needed dressing rooms for everybody. Yeah, yeah. NWO had one. Yeah. Macho Man had one. Hogan had one. <laughs> Ultimate Warrior had one. Piper, Piper had, had yeah. one. Yeah, and then to be like. 75 guys stuck in a you know in one team dresser like a like a cambodian refugee camp but but yeah so we had they gave us a trailer and um and so we would just sit around the dressing room of the trailer and gene gene would tell stories and bobby was you know bless bobby i was i i had uh, recently i had uh, nick aldis on my podcast cheap plug as yeah. mick foley would say yeah. and um he was talking about how much he respected bobby heenan and i said it's a shame you never got to know him he was the funniest guy in the world and he said yeah it's one of my biggest uh, regrets is that i never got to know him. and i said i normally wouldn't say this to somebody but it should be one of your biggest regrets mm-hmm. that's how talented and funny that guy actually really was all the time and so he would hold court and you know he'd make fun of uh of, of Lee Marshall that to see the good thing is is I was so low on the totem pole in the announcer's room that nobody would rib me so they'd all rib Lee Marshall so, he was so, pretty good though for what he did Lee yeah great voice good good he, he taught me a lot about promos he always had a little book with a little factoid about every city that we were going to talk about in the in the box where you do interviews yeah you know? and I used to I produced those I don't that's know if right. you remember that's right I actually did them towards the end I actually hosted them they ran out of people they, they ran out of people well, that's how I got a break in there. Was that Luger didn't show up because he went to the to the tanning salon or something? And I used to hang out in the back. I think you might have even, at some point, said, "Hey, you should hang out in the back, uh, in in the box, because um, you know learn some promos." Because what they would do is they would have uh, localized promo. We're coming to Fort Wayne. We're coming to Sarasota. And they would have Arn doing them, Flair, Sting, whatever. And I sat in the back and watched. And then one day when Luger didn't show up, I got to do one. Yeah. And then the next day I got to do like two. And that's how I started learning. Well, as the as the talent got more and more full of themselves, so to speak, right. you know, and everybody was everybody was kind of full of themselves. I was even, that's, even little old me was full of myself by the end. Yeah. But uh, as the talent got more and more full of themselves, it was got harder to get them to come in the box. So the guys like you... Uh, like Conan, people like that that wanted to hone their their crafts and, and promos. And Conan was already a good promo, and you were always good. But would come in. That's who the, who he would rely on. And like you, you know. said, honed your craft. Yeah. I learned so much. Chavo was always in there. What could I, you know? What working could I with do? 
Gene working with Lee Marshall. I mean, that's how you learn. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was, it was and a we great did experience. we did probably a hundred of them uh, 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 on in one day. You know, because that was back in syndicated television, and so you know it, it, they turn on your TV and you're watching in your town. So we want to tell you we're coming to your yeah. town. So hey, El Paso, we're coming to your town, and you know, Mean Gene, uh, you know, want to say hello to my close personal uh, friend, and uh, make sure you go to Chico's Tacos in, <laughs> in El Paso, and let's let's talk to, to Chavo Guerrero. But I mean, that talk about a lost uh, something that's changed. They don't do that anymore. In no, WWE, nothing. Well, there's no, but there's no reason to really because there's no. I mean, there's no. I but guess still house shows though. I guess there's no syndicated TV. There's no syndicated TV. Yeah. I guess you could do them for like Facebook or something. Yeah, like you that. could, and they they probably should because it's a good way to to, to learn. It probably you is. Know? I, I remember just the 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 genius of Gene Okerlund. He was the best. He just leads you through it. He if could you didn't do have a clue what you were doing. No. He would lead you through it. He could do a promo with a with a uh, cardboard cutout and make yeah. it entertaining. And I'm not saying that is. Oh, but he had to a lot of times with guys <laughs> that had less personality than a cardboard cutout. Because uh, remember, like W had so many guys in that locker room. Because um, all the house shows would be Mexicans. Me and Dean, Chris Adams versus Bobby Blaze, and then like one NWO match, and that'd be it. The Steiners versus somebody, and that'd be about it. Ming and Ming and Barbarian. But actually, when I started getting some steam and turned heel, it was on you. That was, I tell people, that was, I correct me if I'm wrong, that was about 85% your idea. I think I had a little bit, a t- about 10% input, and Terry Taylor had about 5% input because Terry was the. It was Terry's initial idea. You're gonna, you're oh, gonna, it was Terry's initial well, idea? He, he, well, yeah, I wasn't pitching ideas at the time. I just wanted to. Well, but do I thought something. you were, though, because that was like WCW Saturday night where any where like that nobody was, cared the anymore. The first time was on Thunder, though, dude. It was one of the first times on Thunder. I lost the match. I have a tantrum, and then he said, go attack. Dave Penzer and rip his shirt, uh, his jacket off. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah, just do it. And that's kind of how it started. And then I, I did it three or four times, I think. And then I tried to apologize and then ripped it off again. It was kind and of my a- chair. You'd take my chair and you'd bang it again. That was actually the funny part. Cause, uh, and you know, cause you always, uh, not to kiss your ass while I'm sitting in your house doing your podcast, but <laughs> you're always so creative. It amazes me, you know, how you could recreate yourself and the list thing. I, you know, I'm a big mark for that. And, and, and the thing with you and Kevin Owens. And I remember texting back and forth with you when you did the came back and didn't say a word. Word, right, right, and 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 which was like brilliant. So you're always really good at, at at being able to do these these characters, and 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 the brilliance of it wasn't the t- wasn't the tux jacket. That was the heat. The br- the little bit of comedy, uh, levity was. You take the chair and you'd smash it against the, the ring post so I wouldn't have a chair. But then the next week, not only would you come out with a brand new tux jacket, but you'd come out with a brand new chair. <laughs> like you're bringing me a chair. Like there ain't 40,000 chairs in the freaking arena. But, you you're, <laughs> but you're bringing me the chair. And that, you know, that people still remember me for that. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm not, uh, you know, 20, 20 years later, people still remember me for because that. Because you were part of an angle. Yeah, of course. And it was a big, it was a very integral part. Like that's how, basically how people knew that Jericho is not this nameless, faceless baby face. He's now this crybaby heel, which was a start. And it was because of, of, of what we had done together. I remember even one point, maybe it was just your fantasy, but they were thinking about or you thought it'd be a good idea to do a, a, a no action. you son of a no, <laughs> they were gonna do it there it was, was they were your gonna, fantasy you made yeah. it up no they were gonna do it what are they gonna do <laughs> it was back in the day where they had the 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 
um, I don't want to say dolls. Action they figures. Action figures. And they had like a, a, like an accessory in it. So like Ravens would have a chair. Yeah. I remember the for whatever reason, the Giants had a little Rey Mysterio for whatever reason. <laughs> so the Chris Jericho one was going to have a David Penzer ring announcer with a, a removable jacket and chair. And you and 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 and, and, and like uh, they pitched it and they were going to do it and I was like I went home and said hey kids you know all just all puffed out by little five six frame going guess who's going to have their own uh, action figure you can take it to school and show all your friends <laughs> two weeks later oh I'm, see you later I'm going to WWE <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that was the end of that no that was not a figure in my imagination they were going to actually do that but uh, was it was it hard um, uh, when when kind of all your guys went to WWE because I left. Then pretty soon after Dean and Eddie and Perry and, and Chris left, Mysterio left. I remember that night. I begged those guys not to go, but they made the right decision in hindsight. Why did you beg them not to go? Because I was I was sort of in the middle of that because I, I was friendly with Kevin Sullivan. And Kevin was trying to prove to uh, Chris and Eddie and those guys that he would give them an honest, fair shot. Uh, even though there was personal animosity and a history of you know you know not using those guys, including you, in a in a way that was a main event way. So Chris, knowing that I'm friends with 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 him, and I would you know sort of trust uh, not Chris Kevin, I sort of trusted Kevin, but that these guys sort of trusted me, sort of made me I don't want to say a middle guy, but yeah. sort of made me a middle guy to say you got to explain to these guys I I I gave them the world title. I'm not I'm uh, you know I'm I'm, I'm taking this. Seriously, and so I tried to explain that to them, and they their minds were made up. They weren't hearing any of it, and in hindsight, it was the better move, anyways. I mean, look what happened a year or so so later, and the whole thing went up in flames. So, but yeah, I remember I remember that night. I can remember exactly where I don't remember the building, of course, but I can remember exactly where I was standing when I was begging those guys not to leave. But uh, I had Arn, so it was basically towards the end. It was me and Arn, and Charles Robinson was the designated driver, and uh, bless him, he's still in the business all these years later and um danny the trainer uh that was sort of the 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 the, what was left that was you know that was left of the guys that i hung out with and uh so that was that was the last year that's who we traveled with the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Did you know that things were going to end? Was it a surprise when it finally happened? It was, uh, well, you know, because... I knew things were going bad, but you want to you want to think the best. You in your head you want to say, you know, they're not going to throw away this whole thing. You know, it's been so successful. Obviously, it's not now, but or somebody's going to buy it, or you know, and Eric was trying to buy it at the time. So, you know, leading up to it, uh, I would get little hints uh, from Craig Leathers, who I'd become friendly with, who's like I said was my boss, and he would say, you know, I just had a meeting with Brad Siegel. It's not looking good, but I. I'd always try to see the positive because the negative was too. There was what was I going to do? You know, uh, what like I said, there was never a plan B. So I'll never forget when they finally sold and uh, 
somebody called me and said, turn on the computer and turned on the computer in my house in Peachtree City. It was to right to the right of my kitchen on a little table. And uh, it had the, I've told this story before, it had the WWE logo on the splash page at WCW.com purchases right in the middle. And then it had the WCW logo and my heart sank. I, I, and I actually think I might've cried, not sobbed, but I, you know, I think a tear came down my eye and you know, I just decided that, you know, and they didn't give us much time either. You know, it's like the next Monday, they're going to come take the company from you. And I was on the fast track back then because Eric was going to be the boss if he bought the company. John Laurinaitis was going to be his, you know, second in command. And I was supposed to be John Laurinaitis's personal assistant. You were getting into talent relations. Yeah, talent relations and the booking committee. So I had gained the trust of John Laurinaitis and Eric and John had gained Eric's trust. And that was about the only trust that Eric had at that point was John Laurinaitis. I mean, it was explicitly told to me that, you know, wherever, when Eric buys it, you're going to move out to wherever the offices are and you're going to work directly for me. And, you know, so... I didn't want to let that go, but it, it, it went away. And so I just decided that last Nitro, I knew that Shane was going to be there. Panama City. Yeah, Panama City. I just decided I was going to go all out and just do the best job I could and get the crowd as hot as possible. And it was sort of like my tryout in front of Shane. I didn't realize that Bruce and Jerry Briscoe were there, too. Um I, I mean, I did see them, but I didn't realize at the time what they did because we lived in such a bubble. Right. But uh, but I, I'll never forget. I c came back after the show was over and Shane was in the gorilla position. He had just gotten off uh, the ring making his big announcement. He looked at me and he said, hey, you do a really good job out there. Thank you very much. So there was a glimmer of hope, you know, at, at that time that, uh, that, you know, something might happen. And then it's funny because uh, they did the they did that first match in Seattle yeah, with Buff Tacoma. Bagwell against Tacoma, Buff against uh, Booker T. And apparently Johnny Ace had called me later that day and said, Penzer, you should have been in Tacoma. And I'm like, well, you should have told me I could I get on an airplane now. I don't know if I can get there in time. Why? He said, because somebody asked Vince during the production meeting who should ring announce that match. And Vince's response was, well, who's the WCW ring announcer? And somebody said, David Penzer. They said, is David Penzer here? And they said, no. So they decided to have Stacey Keebler do it. Yeah. If, if somebody would have thought to have me there, who, I mean, you know, but then right. the next week we were in Atlanta where I lived and he said, come by, I'll tell him you're there. But by then they had already watered it down to ECW. And well, because that night Vince decided against yeah. it because it yeah. was going to be, as you know, a whole separate promotion. Yeah. W what, what SmackDown is was supposed to yeah. be WCW. No, I met with Jim Ross in, in uh, uh, a hotel in downtown Atlanta. Everybody did. All employees got to meet Jim Ross and John, John Laurinaitis. And um, he, Jim Ross said to me, we're planning on running this as a separate brand and we are planning for you to be that brand's ring announcer. Mm. And so I understand you have severance pay. Go enjoy your severance pay. We'll get back to you when we're a little bit more ready to go. And, you know, then I, I saw the the match in Tacoma and then John Laurinaitis called me. Then I came to Atlanta the next week and then Laurinaitis came out and said, uh, yeah, they moved in a different direction, so we don't need you. But you can stay and watch. And I'm like, no, I'm going to go yeah, home. Yeah, I've seen um, enough wrestling over yeah. the years, right? So I went home, and uh, and I did actually get a call. I don't know if you know this, actually. Um, I was uh, very close to a job um, being a live event host. Mm. And uh, I got flown first class to New York. They picked me up wow. in a limo. First class? Yeah. Jeez. They picked me up in a... Uh, Picked me up in a limo, uh, took me to Connecticut to stay at the Holiday Inn across from Titan Towers, met with everybody the next day but Vince. I mean, 
Ed Cohen, John Laurinaitis, John, Big John Gaborik, I mean, Jim Ross, pretty much everybody there is to meet with. And they had me pitch an idea where I would come out and do different contests and, right. and you know, uh, not be the ring announcer, but be the host. Yeah, yeah. And it was an idea that Vincent had. And basically when I left, they said, it was right before Christmas, and they said, you got the job. But we don't know if it's going to be, I had my tattoo company, so I was like trying to pull myself in 42 directions, but I wasn't going to not go to WWE if I had the chance, WWF at the time. So they said, we had the job, but we don't know if you're going to be an employee, like a salary, or, or if you're going to be per show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm going on a cruise my, uh, for Christmas. It was my parents' wedding anniversary, 20th wedding anniversary. I'm going on a cruise. And uh, she said, call us back when, when you get in the new year. And mm-hmm. so... I'm thinking I had a job and she called me back. Uh, I called back and she said Vince decided to move in a different direction. And that's when they put Eric and Teddy Long, who were the general managers on the road. I guess Vince had decided if he was going to spend airfare and, and money to, to have somebody host, he would put people that were already, you know. And he did have paid. like the divas do it for, for a time. You know, he did kind of have that, you know. But let's talk a little bit about, about Peachtree City and about Benoit. Because um, you lived out there with him, and it was, it was you and Fit. And Chris was out there, and Regal it was kind of the peace tree. Dave city. Taylor, Dave Taylor, Johnny Grunge, Johnny Grunge, and um, Darwin, who was a, a yeah. cameraman. Who, uh, when I mentioned uh, the the babysitter was the daughter of a family friend, that was Darwin and um, and Jill, uh, Jill's daughter. Jill's yeah, yeah, yeah. still one of my wife's best friends to this day. We all hung out. It was uh, it was a fun place, and um, we all hung out, but. We got to see a side of Chris. Um, I don't, I don't want to get into. I don't, no, we don't need. I don't want to get into the whole specifics, but that's what I want to talk about because you okay. mentioned earlier, like, and this is why I wanted to talk to you about it because you were one of the guys that was really close to him as I was, and you know, as crazy and as diabolical as the last weekend of his life was, he was pretty much a, a pretty cool, reliable, good guy. But there was chinks in the armor that started happening. And I wanted to kind of just hear your thoughts on that. Well, this is the way I see it. Chris was a very private person, as you know. Yes. And so very he shy did too. very shy, very private. Didn't want anybody to know, you know, uh, if there was anything bad going on in his life. I remember when he left his wife, uh, Marta, mm-hmm. I, I don't think anybody knew about it for like six months. Right. Just one day he said, oh, yeah, like six months ago we, we split up. Yeah. And um, so he's intensely private. But because... Johnny Grunge was kind of a screw, you know, screw, God bless him, uh, kind of a screw up. And Nancy knew him really well from ECW and Benoit became friendly with him, too. He they trusted Johnny yeah, he Grunge, like the middle ground. He right was now. the only guy that they felt comfortable and they had a fight. You know, Nancy would go and stay with Grunge, and then Chris would come, wow. and, and and they and they and but Grunge, you know, they thought they probably that that they could trust them, but Grunge would tell me. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so we talk, and then not it wasn't just about that. We talk about a lot of things, but then he'd say, oh, "Chris and Nancy, and had another, you know, and it's bad," and so that and a couple of other small things that that were odd uh, throughout the time that we socialized with them and then he had later he had pulled back and stopped socializing socializing with the whole group completely and this is a WCW time this isn't even WWE it just uh, and I I honestly think that if Johnny Grunge was still alive so would be those three yeah and I'm not saying that's the only reason but they lost their only person they felt comfortable you know that whatever happened that horrible weekend I'm convinced that Nancy would have ran out 
on that Friday and gone to Johnny Grunge and had a few drinks and it would all been resolved by, and Chris would have been on a plane to go to wherever in Texas to be at that pay-per-view. There's not a doubt in my mind, but I will tell you this. And I think I told you this at the time when I heard what happened, I wasn't surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's what, that's what Regal said that as well. Um, and you weren't surprised because of, I just saw I saw odd things that all added up as soon as I heard what had happened. Yeah. My son woke me up. I was taking a nap and said about six o'clock at night, I was taking an afternoon nap and said, Dad, I just heard that Chris and Nancy and, and Daniel are dead. Mm-hmm. My first, you know, you wake up and you're groggy. My first thought was, are you kidding? And he said, no. And my second thought was, and I don't know, it was like, Oh my God, I hope Nancy killed Daniel and that's why Chris killed Nancy. I mean, that was my first thought. It wasn't like, oh, I wonder what happened. Right, right, right. right. And not that I didn't like Nancy. She was, you know, a wonderful person, but I didn't want to think that my yeah. that my friend was capable of doing something like that. And so, you know, I guess in my perverse way, maybe if, if Nancy had done it accidentally mm-hmm. and then Chris flipped out, I don't know, but that was my first thought. I do remember talking to you for a long time on the phone with you trying to process this and having a hard time believing that I was, wasn't surprised. Well, all of us were that, cause yeah. like I said, like, we were talking with Chavo and talking with, with Regal talking with Vince. No one saw it coming, but when you know, kind of the deep down, like, you know, I remember one time Benoit gave me so much GHB that I was throwing up in the sumo arena, uh, on the floor, just puking everywhere at the super J cup, 1995. And he was standing there with a the new Japan, official staring at me laughing oh, look at this guy what a piece of shit and i'm like and he just thought that was the funniest thing but that's chris benoit yeah you know what i mean he thought that was funny so um you know and like you said there there were a lot of indications that weird stuff happened but still to this day man it's, it's one of those things where you're like wow i can't believe it you know well to the to this day what haunts me is that daniel somehow got caught up in that however it happened nobody was there but um you know, but I agree with because I think too. Eddie died, uh, Ray Trailer died, Black Cat died, Victor Marr. Well, there Johnny was a lot of died. extenuating circumstances. Wait, I remember, that, remember when 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 Trailer died, Big Boss Man, Chris called me crying. Said, I can't take it. I can't take any more of my friends dying. And then mm-hmm. Grunge, who I think was kind of that middle ground for them. Yeah. He was the only one they trusted, yeah. uh, both of them. You know, like I think Chris trusted a couple other people, and Nancy definitely trusted people, but they, that's the only one they both yeah, trusted. He was the shade because of he didn't he didn't look at them in a negative way, yeah. you know, because he, he was them. he was you know look at I'm Johnny Grunge, who am I to judge? You <laughs> yeah, know, that's right, that's right. And, and I'm not saying that in a negative way towards Grunge. Grunge was a great guy, but yeah. you know, Grunge was you know if not for Ted Petty keeping him on the straight and narrow, you know, that's the truth. Yeah. So and 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 so and then Ted passed. So it's just it's crazy um, what happened. But yeah, the, the the part about Daniel still haunts me because there's there there's a part of there's every bit of me that believes that Chris could have done that to Nancy, unfortunately, and and snapped. But there's well, it, all of us can can see that. You know what I mean? Like snapping. Well, I I know somebody who just, I don't want to just recently uh, uh, in this very town that we live in snapped over a relationship and ended up uh, getting chased by the police and driving head on to the other side and uh, and died in a in a in a wow. crash just this past weekend. It was on live PD of all wow. places wow. and same sort of scenario, but his kid wasn't in the car. Well, that's what I mean. It's it's the kid that you can't understand. And 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 all signs point to the fact that this was a my friend. Uh, 
my old friend. I haven't seen him in a while. This was a broken relationship that led to you know you know them both being able to to both basically driving each other insane. And so I you know I just it's funny it's it's ironic that we're talking about Chris because I you know I just saw it again sort of in a you know a guy that seems like a normal guy just goes off you know goes off his rocker sure, and sure, ends sure. up dead. Yeah. But um, but yeah um. Like I said, I'm convinced that if grunge was alive, they'd still be alive, and you know. But you can't change when, when, the way. When I look. think of grunge, just as we wind down here, I'm thinking about <laughs> pineapple Pete's. Yeah, what the hell was that place? It was the, it was the, it was the, the hotel where everybody stayed when we were doing worldwide tapings, and the name of the club, the the bar, was called Pineapple Pete's, and dude, everybody stayed there it was like the dungeon in Atlanta but this is in Kissimmee Florida yeah I, I had um, another cheap plug I had uh, Jim Mitchell on uh, uh, on my podcast and <laughs> he was talking about back in the Orlando days and he was sort of he lived in Orlando yeah. so he was sort of the, uh, the the master of debauchery yeah, the evil mayor <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh and and yeah it was it was a, a party for sure uh and uh going to eight tracks remember the name eight of the tra- club everyone used to go there yeah, and then there was another place that had a uh, that had a dance floor that uh, that went in circles. Yeah, but it was that was in uh, downtown Disney. Downtown Disney. So yeah. we would go there and film for two weeks, and then go out every night. And there was like 150 guys there, and none of the office, like none of the top guys were there. It'd just be like all the John Nords and like you said, like Chris <laughs> Canyons and Jim Mitchells and all of us. Same with all the Armstrongs, you know, all those type of guys. Benoit Dean. Yeah, just going there and dancing all night on whatever it is that we were taking at the time. <laughs> and it wasn't like the, the tapings were the next night like normal. The tapings were like starting. morning. We had to be up in the morning. So you would tape at 9, 11, 1, and yeah. 3. Yeah. And I remember one night I went out, I got so loaded, and Terry Taylor was at the, was at the club, and he put me on at 9, 11, 1, and 3. <laughs> Remember Bobby Eaton? He walked in and saw the poster of The Omen because it was a 70s kind of, yeah. and he refused to walk in. I'm an Omen. He was scared of The Omen poster and he was scared of La Parca because without his mask, La Parca was so ugly. He did, a, did, did you hear the story about him big leaguing me in Tijuana a couple months ago? La Parca? Yeah. No. I was in uh, Tijuana with the wife and. Um, Just uh, on vacation? Yeah. yeah. And um, we, Triple uh, A was running. So I called Conan and texted Conan and said, hey, you know, I see you're running. And he said, come down, be my guest. And so I went down there and. <laughs> And I saw Hoovy, Big Hug. I saw even the guys from TNA that I that I you know that had been there for a cup of coffee. You know, Hector Garza and stuff. You know, gave me you know, hey, great to see you, Psychosis, like Big Hug. I went up to La Parca, and he he totally blew me off. And I'm like, you remember me, right? The ring announcer's like, yeah, and just kept on his conversation. And there is a story behind that. But I'm waiting for you have maybe more power to get Conan on your podcast to tell the story. Than, yeah, yeah, I've had him on mine, but not he hasn't been able to. He's been so busy with MLW and 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 TNA and Impact and AAA. But he got the the true story behind it, and I don't want to give it away. But uh, actually, the funny part is, I really at the time kind of didn't think he was big leaguing me. I kind of just thought he was like busy or whatever, or, but he was, he purposely big leaguing me. And there's no, it wasn't me that did something. He was taking something else out on me <laughs> because he just associated all gringos as, <laughs> as, 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 being rude, but I'll let Conan tell the story. You enjoy, uh, uh, well, ask him a question. I'll ask this one first. Do you miss the, being around the business? Yeah, well, I, I do the podcast and, and, um, I get to be around a little bit. That's um, cool. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, 
not uh you know i get to do that star cast thing and so you still get gigs to do stuff yeah. yeah every once in a while and you know work with the legends of wrestling remember that big show in uh, shea stadium a couple years ago yeah, yeah, we yeah. do different football stadiums brian knobs runs that believe it or not and brian knobs is sober believe it or not wow and uh, that, yeah so yeah so i still get to dabble around in it and all that but yeah i, I i'm I, what, tell us about your podcast i was looking at the at the rundown you've got a lot of pretty big guests on it there's a couple on there that I haven't even had yet. I'm like, geez, Spencer's doing good. Do you have Terry Funk? I have not had Terry yet. Yeah. No, I had Terry Funk. Yeah. It's called Sitting Ringside with David Penzer. Um, I, I somebody said, hey, you should do a podcast because I was on a couple people's podcasts and I had no idea what a podcast was. I knew you did one, but I, other than that, I didn't really know. And uh, Steve Austin did one, and so there's a a, a company down here called uh, Radio Influence. Uh, a couple of ex. Um, uh, program directors for sports talk local uh, here in Tampa and they're a national company and uh, found them and we hooked up and basically we just tell stories you know just sort of like it's sort of like what we're yeah. doing if you were on city ringside it would be the same conversation only I'd be asking I'd be leading right. the conversation and um, and it's available at drops first uh, every Monday morning on all podcast platforms and who's been your favorite guests oh Jesus that's that's hard Probably Scott Hall, but I mean, you know, we've had Terry Funk, Dory Funk Jr. We've had, I mean, and some of the ones that I did that, that you wouldn't think, I mean, Jim Mitchell was fantastic. Uh, Rip Rogers was hilarious. Oh my gosh, yeah. uh, we actually do a, now a, a, a every three or four months segment with Rip Rogers, politically incorrect with Rip oh, Rogers. Oh, he's so nuts. Oh, but um, so, you know, the, the ironic part is the ones that you, you, you think might be tough. Sometimes pulling, you know, stories out are, are the ones that go on for two hours. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the ones that you might you th- think would go on for two hours they don't go so you know more name body but um yeah if anybody wants to check it out they can follow me at at uh, david penzer on twitter and um i wanted to remind you of one thing i don't know if you remember this we were in um west virginia at a bar and i can't remember the name of the bar i actually had a client i sold a house to in tarpon springs that was from west virginia that knew the name of the bar and used to go there but you did karaoke and i don't know if you remember this you got up and you did karaoke at the bar and I was shocked. And I looked at you and said, holy crap, you could freaking sing. You should start a band. <laughs> and I'm not saying that's the reason Fozzie was founded. I'm not trying to take credit for it. But I'm thinking maybe I might have put the little the idea in the back of your head that uh, became what it is now and, uh, and, and your great success. So I, I don't know if you remembered that, but I'll yeah, never yeah. forget it. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't remember that. But uh, Do you remember the bar? No, dude. How many bars did we get? I know, but this Come one was on. really fun, and they would they would comp us everything, and dude, they were all fun and comp us everything. <laughs> See, was, I forget you kept. I forget you kept going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, I stopped in two thousand and one, and had a you know you know I'd go on a tour here and a tour there, and I forget you kept you've been going for all this time. Last question: If you're thinking about WCW, what was like? Your, is there a moment like your favorite match or your favorite Nitro moment that you were involved in or got to see where you went, oh my gosh? I always say two two moments the first one was when scott hall walked down the steps in macon georgia and got in the the ring and start and and we knew he was coming it wasn't a surprise yeah but what we didn't know is that they were you know going to play off the whole scheme gene you know thing that wwf had been doing at the time and you know you want a war you you got a war a light bulb went in my head and 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 just thought that that was incredibly uh and i just knew something special happened that night the other one was in i don't know if you're still with the company 
in Greensboro, uh, uh, sorry, Greenville, South Carolina, the reunion of the Horsemen. Yeah. Um, That's when Flair came back after when Bischoff Fla- yeah. fired him. And, and I helped, and, and the reason it's sort of special to me is I helped Aaron work on that speech. He worked on it for weeks when we were driving down the road together, and he would throw things off me, and I knew the speech like word for word. You know, even down to the, oh, you know, he hit himself and said, I have Alzheimer's. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick almost forgot Rick Flair. And, oh, the, yeah. and then Rick came down, and they did the shoot thing with Eric going, you know, fire me. I'm already fired, you know. <laughs> but 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 just my being a Horseman fan and being somebody that rode with Rick and Arn and was very tight with Arn and, and also Dean and Chris, who were part of that uh, group, uh, that was another moment that, uh, that, that I'll never forget. Those two, I don't know that I could pick one more than the other. And that's, the other one would be probably uh, Brett versus Benoit after Owen died. Yeah, yeah, in Kansas City. Yeah. One of the, probably the best match Brett had in WCW. Uh, last thing, are you familiar with our podcast that we do uh, called Talk and Shop? On, on talk is Jericho. It's me and Gallows and uh, Carl Anderson. And Gallows does. Somebody it. played it for me Heads at Starcast. Somebody so, came up to me so, and said, "said Have you heard Luke Gallows?" And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, I know who the guy is, and he actually worked with us for Legends of Wrestling before he went back to WWE. And um, said he does an impression of you. And I said. How come I've never heard of this? So the guy pulls. It took like ten minutes. I was getting like annoyed because I wanted to go back to my hotel. Uh, we were done for. I was walking out for the day. I was like getting annoyed at this poor guy, and he brought it up. And and I don't so, know that it sounds like me. But. So so I want you to end off the show by introducing uh, Luke, uh, Talking Shop featuring Luke Gallows. Uh, however you want to do it, coming down the ring, whatever. So I can play it for him, and we can see which which voice is better. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the ring, representing Talking Shop, Luke Gallows. <laughs> I'm glad that entertained you because I got no clue. <laughs> Other than some guy at StarCast held his phone up and I got to hear. Oh, dude, it's great talking to you, man. Yeah. We could we could do a, a whole lot more. And uh, now that you've done my show, I will uh, repay the favor. Wow. In about three years. <laughs> 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 yeah, thanks, dude. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right, thanks to my old WCW traveling buddy, Dave Penzer. He's got a podcast as well right now. It's very successful. It's called Sitting Ringside. You can check out all the great guests at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Impact Wrestling Scott Demore is his guest this week. And you know what else you should check out before it's too late? I'm talking about Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at sea at chrisjerichocruise.com. We are 78% sold out, cabins going fast. So book yours now. Come join us for the best vacation ever. Just ask anybody that went on the cruise last year. We had so much fun. Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at sea part due, the second wave, setting sail once again next year, January 20th to the 24th, 2020. Why is there so many 20s? Because this uh, vacation is 20 times better than any other vacation you've ever had. And I want you to be there with us. And with AEW, All Elite Wrestling, the hottest wrestling company in the world, today is going to be there with all their top stars, including me. Fozzie is on board, ready to rock you. I'm really excited about that. Uh, Brad Williams is going to be the host. He was one of the stars of the cruise last year. Very funny comedian. Uh, I'm talking about Vicky Guerrero is this year's guest cruise director. Bruce Jingles will be doing some stand-up. He's hilarious. We also got Beyond the Darkness lined up to host some paranormal events on the ship. It was some crazy things that happened last year. And DDP will be there again holding live DDP yoga workouts right on board on the top deck. How about this? Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Sean Waltman are going to be there. The NWO, baby. How about Jake the Snake Roberts? is going to be there. That's very, very cool to have him involved. Very excited about that. Also, 
Proud to announce that Booker T, two-time, two-time, two-time WWE Hall of Famer is going to be there along with Queen Charmel, the lovely Queen Charmel. She's always a blast. She is joining her uh, her hubby on board. Uh, uh, Charles Guerrero is going to be there joining her mom, Vicky. Also, we got Jared James Nichols, one of the greatest guitar players in the world today. We toured with him a few uh, months ago. We had a great time. Uh, Farewell to Fear is going to be there. We toured with them as well. And the Dave Spivak Project. Actually, that was the whole Canadian tour. We, I liked it so much, I put it together again. Got a little bit of Canadian blues rock from Dave Spivak. Uh, the greatest 80s cover band you'll ever hear in the world today, Rubik's Cube, is going to be there. And that's just the beginning. We've got so many more to be announced later this week uh, a few more huge huge stars you're not going to believe it come book your cabin now at chrisjerichocruise.com don't miss out this will be one of the greatest vacations of a lifetime you're going to have so much fun and speaking of fun come check out Fozzie we've got a quick little tour in May uh, doing a little bit of a run uh, May 15th in Greenville South Carolina at the Firmament with uh, Talk is Jericho alumni uh, Anita Strauss is going to be joining us on that also she'll be there on May 16th Greensboro North Carolina at Cone Denim uh, Greensboro, like I said. Then we go May 17th, Virginia Beach at the Lunatic Luau in Virginia. We played that a couple years ago. May 18th at the MMR Barbecue in Camden, New Jersey at the BB&T Pavilion. What a great place that is. We played there last year for another uh, station. This year is for the great WMMR in Philly. July 12th will be in Mansfield, Ohio in incarceration. August 3rd, we're doing a radio festival in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. That's real. It's true. And how about this? September 14th, opening for Iron Maiden at the Bank of California Stadium in Los Angeles. Lots of stuff coming up for Fozzie. Lots of stuff coming up for Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. Lots of stuff coming up for AEW. Don't forget All Elite, uh, Double or Nothing. Of course, May 25th at the sold-out MGM Grand Arena. And how about this? On Friday, returning to the paranormal, talking about the phenomena of remote viewing. Okay, Third Eye Spies is a documentary featuring pioneer Russell Targ. He uh, pretty much invented remote viewing and discovered it in the early 70s. And producer uh, uh, Lance Mungia are going to be here talking all about this crazy phenomenon that's used by governments around the world, including the Russian government and the U.S. government. Lots of crazy stories about remote viewing. So close your eyes, drift away, and join me on Friday. Until then, stay hard, stay happy, peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy! Coming to the ring, Dave Penther! We'll see you on Friday.